This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is bonus episode 349. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. Up on bonus episode 349, I am joined by special guest host, Mr. Watson, who suggested, and I took on the suggestion, to review The Empty Man, which came out last year to little or no fanfare at all. Came out right in the middle of that awkward period where cinemas started to open and then closed pretty quick again because of COVID. So, yeah, we are going to be discussing that movie long form with spoilers after the first break. Before we get to that, as always, let's catch up with where we are under the stairs. So this episode is dropping a few hours later than originally planned, so it's tipped over just into Sunday, which means you'll be getting two episodes today. Uh, One right now in the morning and one kind of later on. I'll try and push it as late back as possible so you don't have to drop in like pretty much back to back but the final episode of the week is our 88 films slasher classic collection moon over scorpio so that will be dropping later today tomorrow on the the old podcast under the stairs you're getting the next installment of our A24 series myself Bo Ransdell, Jamie J Sammons sitting down continuing the good fight across four new titles in that series. We will be looking at Gaspar Noe's climax, The Hole in the Ground, Slice, and a little bit of Midsommar. So that will be coming your way tomorrow. On the Teapots Collective, nothing dropping this week, so you are free, you are loosey-goosey. End of next week, you'll be getting the next instalment of Where to Begin With. Oh yes, it's time. You know it's time. We'll be hearing your reviews of The Conspiracy and my review of my next pick, which was Digging Up The Marrows. So that is what's coming your way next week on the Teapots Collective feed. That is you, ladies and gents, all caught up at the start here. So we're going to take a very short break just now. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for The Empty Man from 2020. When I return, I'm joined by my guest, Mr. Watson, and we's going to get deep into this one. Coming right up, right after this. Want to learn more about horror directors? With a lighthearted look at three of their movies, meet fearless podcaster Gore Blimey. I've been unsettled by bats in the past and startled by parrots, and I've even been known to jump at the odd cockatoo. Discover horror films that are classics, and others too. There's a topless aerobics massacre, an exploding rock singer, cannibals, nude martial arts, a deep fried But it's not all silliness. You'll get proper movie breakdowns, opinion, and background information too. Yep, in the 80s and 90s, Jeff Stryker was huge in gay porn. In every sense. So if you're a horror film fan, come and check out the Trilogy of Terror podcast at strangeanddeadly.com or find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or on your podcatcher. 
one of those people that has a certain charisma and a certain style, and I'm just hoping one day he'll rub off on me. The Trilogy of Terror podcast, where we try three times harder to give you the willies. Hey, wait. We gotta try it. Try what? Calling the empty man. Who's the empty man? If you're on a bridge and you find a bottle, you blow into it and you think about the empty man. Oh, come on, Mandy. How old are you? Tell him the rest. On the first night, you hear him. And on the second night, you see him. And on the third night? Well, on the third night, he finds you. Squirming his way into your thoughts. Like a disease. And his message is contagious. Welcome back, ladies and gents. It is my distinct privilege and pleasure to, I'm going to say formally for the first proper time on an individual movie review that isn't related to a series. I think that sounds right. Introduce a man who uh, I think is fucking awesome. Um, he is my resident guest host on the continually releasing episodes and we'll have another one out soon opera omnia season one looking at ben wheatley but he is also one half of the phenomenal podcasting duo of the what's he party podcast the horror party podcast he is the very talented the very sultry mr watson how you doing sir <laughs> mr mcleish it is buddy it is wonderful to be back once again underneath these here stairs talking with you it's been too long since we've joined forces on the mic so i'm insanely happy that we're reunited because duncan it feels so good and uh man <laughs> nice. uh you know, wow is this really you're, you're telling so. me this is my first time I... under the stairs because i did the fan yeah i did the phantasm yeah. you did phantasm you were in the phantasm russian relate series, series and yeah in the summer series so i think summer this series. is your first like official what? individual well. movie so. motherfuckers here i am mr watson fuck it we're, yeah this is gonna be great i and uh yeah folks this was a movie that i i, I wanted to bring to duncan's attention mm -hmm. because honestly i you were the man i thought of once the final scene just was just clicked off it fades to black and i'm going i uh, instantly in my head uh, it's like a neon sign <laughs> with a scottish accent i don't even know what that means McLeish. man but it's just going duncan mcleish mcleish <laughs> mcleish mcleish i'm like tell him tell him and i did i messaged you you did like almost like because uh, this has been a couple of weeks in the in the making yeah. i did just get a message out of the blue from you saying how's it going we've not chatted in a while uh we should do that ben wheatley movie coming up oh by the way you should watch the empty man we should yep. do a review on that and at, at first, I'll be honest with you, at first I was a bit sceptical because 
<laughs> the Empty Man's not... F- I never got the cinema release over here that I got in the States, to be honest. Oh, okay. I never really got a cinema release in the States. I think it was out for a week before It was a cinema. failure here, Yeah, what it was. It did get a release, but it was a failure, dude. Well, this is the... Uh, uh, doing a bit of research in the background, this is technically the last um, 20th Century Fox title that what? was released as a 20th Century Fox title before... Before... Disney. Okay. So yeah. did did their thing. Um, I believe it's wow. like a kind of hangover, which explains some of the issues to do with the marketing for the movie. I think Disney didn't want to do anything with it, to be honest. Um, mm. And like I say, doing a bit of deep diving, there's a really interesting uh, interview. I need to try and get the link to it because I watched it yesterday. Interview with the director, so like about an hour long. Um, and basically what he was saying is that they tried to... Disney did not like the length of the movie because this is a just under two hours and twenty minute horror movie. Which yeah, um, oh, but we go places, man. We go. This movie's got legs for days. Mm-hmm. Um, but the they apparently screened it and it didn't perform well in the screening. Uh, so they chopped it down to wait for this a ninety minute version of this, which was then played in front of a tester audience and scored lower than the original two hour and 20 cut of this movie so they basically just dropped it like they dropped it out in the cinema very little push behind it it's out for about a week and like i say cinemas then closed again Uh, but the the word on the street that i had heard last year was avoid this movie so and it wasn't just like from one solitary source uh it was kind of universal this movie scored poorly and I do have, I do try and watch as many horror movies as I can, I'd like in a year. But there is a certain point where a critical score does play a factor in that. Like, mm-hmm. there's only so much time I have to watch movies, and unless I'm seeing like one or two like lone trustworthy voices saying, "No, this movie is worth your time," if it's scoring less than like twenty percent on something like a Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and if the audience score is kind of echoing that, so it's not like a disparity where like you get something like uh, Godzilla King of Monsters, which has like it's like a forty percent critical score, but like an eighty percent audience score. Where I'm mm-hmm. like that, I'm probably going to want to check this out anyway because the audiences seem to enjoy it. If it's sitting down very low on both, I think this had like about ten reviews on Rotten Tomatoes just after its mm. release, which is not a lot and the scores were low from both the audience and the critic. You know, I'm not oh, going to watch man. it. But then, then, um, you dropped me a line and just off the just off the back of you saying like that, I, I, think, I think we'd have a great conversation about this. I think you should watch it. I was like, right, there's something, right, there's a, there's a, there's something that isn't just superficial about this movie that'll be an interesting talking point because that's, tends to be where our conversations go, which made mm-hmm. me happy. And I will say that you did not disappoint on this one, because this uh, one this one is deep, motherfucker. I swear oh, to God, this what? is deep. Yeah. Um, Man, and, and I'll uh, tell you, Duncan, I completely missed this movie when it came out in 2020 for the same reason you did. I, mm. I have a vague memory of, I think, Mark Nato of the Horrorcast being the only person going like, no, there's this movie called The Empty Man, and it's good. And maybe Jason Lloyd said something about it, the head of Horophilia, before mm-hmm. it uh, you know, retired. It, but other than that, nobody was talking about it, and I didn't get to it. And it was just, 
it was just that same way. And finally, I just said, okay, I'm just going to check it out. I'm having one of those, you know, you know, those, well, you might not because you're so fucking busy, but I just have had one of these days where I'm just like, I have nothing on my plate. It's, it's empty man time. Let's just see what the hell this is. And, and like I said, for better or worse, Duncan, I was like, he, th- we have to talk about this movie. And I message you, like we said, and it's, and, and I did because, for, you know, and to, you know, there are spoilers on this podcast, as mm-hmm. people know, it's in your intro. But the whole deal is, and, you know, the empty man steps into folk horror territory, oh, which gorgeous. took me by surprise. And when I think folk horror, I think Duncan McGee. <laughs> so I was yeah. like, okay, no, all right, got to get the, got to get the man. We got to, we're, uh, th- this is I'm cool. like, beep, 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 hello, Scotland, yeah. uh, give me Duncan. <laughs> and then, <laughs> so. uh, well, this is got like, and like, for those that are not aware that might want to hit stop right now to go away and check the movie before we do go into spoiler territory, um, this movie has some folk horror in it. It has, it's certainly Lovecraftian by the end. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Um, it has specific conversations, um, which are tantamount to nihilism and the you know the 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 you know the, the what is life and how much destiny and fate is in our hands and how much yes. is predetermined. And yes. all this is in a movie, which is ultimately. There's, there's Wicker Man in this. This is the, like this mm-hmm. like on on some level. This is a guy hunting a missing child as part of what is revealed to be a ceremony, which is the Wicker Man. So I mean, yeah. like which is the folkiest folk horror that ever folk horrored. So I mean, there is there's so much to this movie that I was not expecting, and then like digging a little bit under the surface. Um, of just the process behind it this kind of blew my mind so uh, let me give you a little bit of the, the details dear listeners on this one this one is directed by David Pryor who this is his feature debut oh right <laughs> okay but this guy has been in the biz for years and I had never heard of him before and I feel ashamed of myself because this guy basically appears to have cut his teeth doing like featurettes for for dvd releases for years like but in all the cool ones that we all owned so if you own something like the fight club dvd and all those cool extras that were on there david Pryor was the guy that did them all right and he's he has the list of releases that he's worked on that he's customized and tailored the extras for is fucking daunting right so so he is the director but he is also the screenwriter so this is coming from a graphic novel released by Boom Studios who do a ton of graphic novels uh, and he adapted it now I'm led to believe from what I've read online this bears a part a kind of passing resemblance to the graphic oh. novel but essentially okay. David Pryor created it himself now sit yourself down and think about this in 2020 or 2019 whenever the movie was actually shot a major studio, so once again we're saying 20th Century Fox, a major studio, green lights a horror movie by a first-time director, right? So they're they're saying, you know, hi Mr. First-time director, let's let's give you a lot of money, because this this movie screams we've spent a lot of money making this movie. Yes. Right? Um for a horror movie that's two hours and twenty minutes long, right? which deals with uh, the esoteric, 
the you know the philosophical um, and the, the the kind of otherworldly elements, and we're going to release it cinematically. When does that ever happen? <laughs> when does that ever happen? I don't know. Not not these days. Not in this century, my friend. Original content as well. So this is not a sequel to a movie. It's not a continuation of a franchise. This is brand new content. That does that is almost completely unheard of out with a studio like something like A24. Mm. Which weirdly, this movie like at times has a very A24 vibe about it. Um, oh yeah. But so like that's the first thing that blew my mind. The then you take into account this the cast is mostly unknowns. You know, there, are, there isn't a huge amount of people like Aaron Poole, I've seen him in things before. Stephen Root, yes, we've seen him in things before. But you're, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of, your leading, uh, your leading cast is James uh, Badge Dale, uh, is the, the name of the actor, is like the main guy in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's mostly unknowns, or, or like kind of lesser known actors who are in here. With all this money behind it, on a studio, to be just like the more I thought about it, the more my brain was just like, how does this movie exist? <laughs> like, how does this movie like this is like as a film fan, this is like this is another reason when we get to the very end, it's going to be interesting talking about the 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 clear job that I feel that critics did poorly on this one. But I'm also mm. going to say horror fans dropped the ball big time on this one is all we do is moan about we don't want more sequels we don't want more remakes we want we want original content we want studios to invest in original content and get it out in the cinemas and here is the very example the antithesis of what we as horror fans keep professing our interest in and it comes out no one goes to see it, and those that do go to see it, they don't understand it, shit on it. So yep. I, yep. I just, it just, it, it, it arced me because as soon as it finished, I was like, why is it? Like, the first thing I did when it finished was I was like, I'm going to buy this on Blu ray. It doesn't have a physical release. Yeah, I think they just gave up on it because of the failure that it was in, in the market. And it just, I don't think there were any plans to. I could <laughs> go it, to, I could go to my shitty supermarket <laughs> down the road now and buy every Sharknado movie. <laughs> and I can't get the, the the empty man on a Blu-ray. The world oh is wrong, God. right? So there's there's that aspect, right? So let, let's park that to the side. Um, the the synopsis for this movie is on the trail of a missing girl, an ex-cop comes across a secretive group attempting to summon a terrifying supernatural entity, which is concise and yet there's a lot more mm-hmm. in there, but you know, it ticks the boxes. This movie, Watson. This is how you should have pitched this to me. This movie has a 25-minute cold open. Yeah. Um, and I would have been like, fuck off. And you would have been like, no, 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 it has a 25-minute cold. There's 25 minutes before the name of the movie comes up with characters yeah. that you will never see again, really. Um, and I would have been like that. Fuck off, Watson. And you would be like, yeah. no, 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 no. You'd like, you'd, you'd like, trust me, trust me. Because I, like, see when the Empty Man thing come up? I was like, that was the intro. <laughs> yes, I mean, yeah, we're 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 in Bhutan, you know, we're we're in the Himalayas mm-hmm. to start off with, and so you're just like, wait, what is going on here? And then the things that happen are you're you're watching, and and instantly when I saw this cold open, Duncan, is it this 25 minute cold open? I'm going, 
wait, everybody's been comparing this to like a popcorn film, you know, like like the Bye Bye Man, like we were talking about. Yeah, we, we we're going to get into that at the it, end. Yeah, so. we're definitely going to go there. But like, uh, and I'm sitting here thinking, wait a second. Already, we're, we're starting off in the Himalayas with a fantastic beast of an open that is brutal, unrelenting, and thought-provoking. And you're trying to tell me that this is a teen-centric popcorn movie? How about, how about everybody fuck off? How about that? Like, <laughs> like, what, what, yeah, is, like, what am I seeing here? Yeah. Yeah, this is, I mean, like, so we, we join a group of four people. Um, they are on a hike in the Himalayas. Uh, the oh, man, just this, oh, so much to talk about. Um, like, the they, they cross a bridge... There are so many bridges in this movie. Oh, we're, yes, we'll be talking about bridges. Yes, mm. we will have to talk about bridges. Um, but they, they cross a bridge as they cross <laughs> they get the other side of the bridge. Then they pass those like uh, prayer stones. Which, yeah, yeah, which the, spin them around. Yeah, yeah, spin them around. And at no point does anyone go. Ah, 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 I want the knife. Please, which is upsetting to me because I'm a Golden Child fan, so I want that to happen. Um, Golden Child, holy shit! Oh yeah, yeah, coming back at you. Um, So like, so like they they pass that, and uh, one of our characters, played by Aaron Poole, who plays this character called Paul, hears this noise. He he's the only one that apparently can hear the noise. He walks away from the rest of the, the you know the, the team. And disappears down a ravine, which they then have to get him to. And he is essentially in a trance at the altar of what can only be described as maybe an alien. A a demon or an angel, an alien, something not from here. Something very, if you imagine like an HR Geiger doodle, this is kind of what it looks like. Um, You know, like it has the... Essentially, it's in a prayer position, but it's got a, a larger-than-human skull, and it appears to have four arms. Um, and but it's in a it's in a particular pose, uh, and it has a particular aura about it from a, a distance that will be replicated several times throughout this movie again. Because this movie, oh my god, it just it, I can't wait to watch it again. It just rewa- <laughs> it just rewards like like just. Like scenes, like there are scenes that I know for a fact my eyes picked up on something and later on it's going to pick up on something else. Um, but yeah, so he's in there, he tells his friend who kind of, I was going to say abseils, but I think it's more spelunks, uh, down to get him that, yeah, uh, yeah don't, don't don't touch me or you'll die. They get him out of there, they find a cabin. Um and this is not in the woods, so there you go. Uh, they find a cabin on a mountain, uh, and they go and sit in the cabin. And basically, from that point, everything goes um, as the kids in England would say. Everything goes Pete Tong, aka wrong. Um, everything goes wrong. Pete, I think Pete Tong was a DJ. This is where my listeners shout at me. I think he was like a famous DJ that did like massive nightclub things ah. in the UK uh, and that just became a phrase everything's Kate gone Kate Pollock uh, confirm yes Kate, Kate will know Kate will know she's Kate probably she's probably right now screaming at her device saying Duncan how do you know, yeah, know this and she says she says the most British stuff ever I love it she'll be like bits and bobs I'll yeah. be like hey, damn, what's all this then and I'm like ha ha yes anyway sorry to derail yeah, so yeah no, 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 no. Uh, so yeah but um, so essentially they end up at this cabin and um, Paul is 
Um, I'm just going to be using lots of slang. He's away with the fairies. He's not quite Ooh. with us. He's, he's, his eyes are kind of just distancing off. Um, and the, the rest of the party are a bit uncomfortable. Two of them go out uh, to, to do a bit of rummaging to find out what, what's going on. And the woman that's left, uh, she uh, thinks she sees a guy outside the cabin. It's this guy wearing like rags. And this guy kind of chases after her. She closes the door on him. Uh, she thinks she's seen something. She doesn't know if she has or not. And um, the other two come back. She puts, interestingly, she puts, this is the first thing where I will, that I love this movie. Uh, she puts a knife down just beside the door and the camera doesn't hover over it like this is Chekhov's knife. You know, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't do that. It, it literally shows you, she puts the knife down. Within a minute, we are going to go back to that door. The knife is gone, right? And once again, it doesn't linger over it to like, where is the knife gone? It just shows you because it trusts you as an adult watching a movie that you will understand there was a knife there and it isn't there now. Yes. I love that. There's a a degree of respect, I think, being built because it's too obvious and and they do it like a few times in this movie. Like they do it later on with a teddy bear, which I love. Um, But the the idea of they they flash something but they don't prolong the, the look. Essentially, Paul's missing in the morning and they go to try and find him, and he's uh, he's went full kind of Ace Ventura too. Uh, you know, he's like, totally, mm. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's all right at the end, or right right at the, the bridge that they were at. But he's whispering something, and he seems to somehow manage to take control of his girlfriend, who then brutally stabs the fuck out of the other ones and throws them off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> Like, this is, like, it comes out of nowhere, and I don't know what you were like, I, I just, I, because I didn't know anything about this movie, I just assumed these were our characters. Exactly. You think, you think, okay, that's our final girl, that's the guy who's going to be first to die because this entity, first you hear him, then you see him, and then he comes for you or whatever, and it's like, okay, so, you know, it's been three days, and they've been holed up, and now this bridge incident's happening, and then all of a sudden... Homegirl, who you think's probably final girl, stabs the guy you think could be final boy in the yeah. back, shoves him off a cliff, slits the other girl's neck, and then looks at our man sitting there by the bridge, like crying. And you know, he's not in a good position, he's you know, clearly in some state. And then just elects to fall off backwards, uh, off this, this, this cliff. And and you're just like, wait, so those aren't our characters, yeah. <laughs> what? This is 25 what? minutes into the movie, yeah. Screen goes black, and then we get the flash of the title of the movie. The empty man, and I was like, "What the fuck?" Like, I, I, I literally was just like, "Oh!" It's like I, I recently played. Um, I say I recently played. I, I played that at Christmas. Uh, I played uh, that Cyberpunk uh, twenty seventy seven uh, mm. game that came out for the, the the PlayStation, and I think I was about forty hours into that before I got the because I, I just got lost and I was doing stuff, and um, before the title credits come up for that movie uh, for that game, what? Yeah, it's not like there's a huge. Uh, well, basically, you can do tons of stuff before you actually physically do the mission that kicks off the storyline. Okay. And I wow. was like, I, I'd forgotten that hadn't happened. So I was playing it, playing it, playing it, playing it. And then I remember just getting to a certain bit and going, oh, this is getting really good. And then it was like, Cyberpunk 2077. And I was like, that's the intro. That's the, that's the intro. Holy fuck. That's a game. That's a whole game. And that's just my intro. And I kind of felt this. This feels like a movie 
just open. This could be a movie. You could expand this out and have this, like mm. all the stuff you were talking about, where like he's possessed and this is going to be the first one to go and it's going to be this story of claustrophobia and paranoia on this hill and all the rest. And no, no, no. We then cut to... I, I was going to say a conve- it's more a conventional set-up storyline. Yep. But the the movie's like the movie never takes its foot off the brake of the the weird uh, the weird subtext and conversation that just continues right throughout this movie. We're essentially introduced to James. James is a former cop who is dealing with some demons. His demons primarily being the loss of his wife and child in a car accident. Um, he used to be an undercover cop, but is now a private investigator and he is essentially trying to pick up the well he's trying to live basically and that living is a solitary one as we find out very early in the movie when he sits down to cash in his free birthday meal coupon um at a restaurant which is the saddest thing I've ever seen uh only <laughs> only made worse by the fact that the the people in the restaurant then bring him a birthday flan um, with a candle in it and they all sing happy birthday dear customer because they, <laughs> they don't know his name <coughs> which I yeah. thought was oh so bad I was like oh swallow me up I don't like just for just for knowledge out there I don't like anyone making a fuss out of me like ever I hate it um, and oh, okay. like like especially like at if it's my birthday, I'll avoid going out for a meal on my birthday to avoid anyone setting up any shenanigans of a cake being brought to the table with people singing happy birthday. Um, and everyone that knows me knows I hate this. And one year, I think it was when I turned 26, uh, there was a crowd of us went out for my birthday. And we went to a restaurant. And I remember, like, kind of the, the wash of euphoria coming over me towards the end as we were asking for the bill because no cake had come out. And I'm like, oh, thank God, thank <laughs> God. And the the waitress disappeared to go and get the, the, the check and um, everything was kind of calming down. Everyone was getting themselves ready to, to, to go. And then all I heard was, happy birthday oh, to no. you and I I, I looked at my, my best friend Dave because I knew if anyone had done it it would be that cunt um, and I, <laughs> I stared right at him and he was kind of smiling and I'm like oh fuck and they're like, happy birthday to you happy birthday dear Rachel because it was for the table beside us um, oh. uh, and I like honestly like it, oh <laughs> It was the best feeling in the world, but I was slightly <laughs> embarrassed because... It wasn't for me. It wasn't yeah. for me. And then part of me felt like, why did no one get me a fucking cake? Yeah, why yeah. is Rachel getting a cake? So, you can never win. Um, fucking Rachel. Fucking Rachel. I hope I hoped she shot a hedgehog. Yep. That's my hope for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so essentially we're introduced to James. Um, James goes and meets up with Amanda, who is this high school girl. Um, and this is the this is the first clear marker in the movie where I thought to myself, this is why Watson's picked this, like mm-hmm. like as a movie because he meets up with this schoolgirl who he's friends with her mother. He's a kind of quasi father figure to her, um, and he sits down and asks her how school is going, and she basically. And like this is some like straight up philosophical nihilistic shit. It's all about yes. like self determination. 
why um, we, you know, like our, our pre our predefined destiny is something that's out with our control. Actually, why doing nothing is tantamount to doing something. Um, you know, both are essentially ineffectual to to the to our existence, like our happiness and our well being. And she comes up with all this like cynical deep dark shit in this conversation to which this goes over James's head James is not attuned but she's <laughs> preaching um, and I like she finished it and I was like that this is like this this dialogue is it's too much to just be like well this is this character's thing there's something going on here mm-hmm. um, and it's the th- it's a, a huge theme of this movie uh, because the essentially there's a religion based off of it which I found like really interesting but the way that she parses it out is on, once again, it's that adult way of explaining something. She at no point kind of speaks dim to the audience who are listening into it, uh, but it's delivered in such a matter-of-fact way of, this is just how I view the world, the universe, and my life now, and this is th- this is how I believe we all exist. And... As the audience, you kind of have to roll with that. And I, I thought this was... Like, to me, this was the first clear marker where I was like, see if this movie just keeps doing this, <laughs> I will be a happy camper. And it does. <laughs> well, it does. Well, yeah, like, because but there's a whole institute. Uh, and I was like, oh, because I was just like, if only we could expand on it. Oh, we can expand on it more for the rest of the movie. Thank you. Um, so, yeah. Well, yeah, Duncan, and you, you get the immediate sense that, okay, why, why, why are we getting such high mm-hmm. high concept content here if our basic premise is just going to be a, a supernatural entity hunting teens this yeah. is not, not the movie you think it's going to be and sure you might sit there and go you know listeners you might go man this runtime is intimidating and, and yeah two hours and 17 minutes for a popcorn film would be ridiculous but that's where my, my hope is, and, and the whole reason Duncan and I are talking today, is to maybe sort of preach a little bit on the idea that this is not a popcorn film. This is something of a suburban epic. It's got a large narrative scope in that, and as Duncan's going to get into here, you know, the, the more our lead dives into the mystery of mm-hmm. this empty man and these teenagers and what's going on here that's, that's, that starts here with this meeting between him and his uh, his old flames daughter so to speak uh you know as he makes one discovery after the other the plot just keeps thickening the mystery grows and the implications become just bigger and bigger until it's about as big as you can get and so and like you're saying i love that you're honing in on the idea that this movie isn't insulting you because one of the best things i think about this movie is that the biggest way it's not insulting us is that it's not stretching out a basic premise to its breaking point Mm -hmm. this is a big story and it takes more than 90 minutes to tell and so yeah when we start here and and i i knew this conversation would get you because i knew you'd pick up on like wait where did we why did we just get into a master's thesis on (laughs) on the conceptualization of reality insofar as this girl thinks of it anyway who by the way sort of looks like if the kid from season one of stranger things <laughs> kind of had a a, a kind of hot older sister <laughs> she looks like she looks like the kid from stranger things went into the brundle fly machine with the woman that's yes. dating bruce willis in pulp fiction you know which oh. is like i want to put billy like that's yes. that yes. is literally it's that's who it is that's who it is yeah so anyways, yeah, this conversation happens and then well, yeah, where do we where do we go from here? Yeah, so essentially James like James is 
uh, you know, he's he's a lonely guy. Um, he uh, he goes he goes home. He has a nightmare, and his nightmare he dreams of uh, essentially a car crash of some description. Uh, but interestingly enough, he hears like when he goes home, he hears his his wife's voice asking him where he's been. And it's, you know, we, we get this flash to a happier time, essentially, of him, his wife and his child. It's always the same scene we flash to as well as of them being in a park, which at first I thought was his happy memory, but then there is a reason that's explained later on which made me very sad but happy at the same time that that's, mm. there's a reason behind this. Um, when he wakes up in the morning, Amanda's vanished and Nora who is, like you said, a, an old flame of his. We're going to get more into their relationship in a bit. But Nora, who is Amanda's mother, has basically called him in and said, listen, Amanda didn't come home. She's vanished. I need you to look into it. Which starts our journey day one, right? So the, like very much like the opening cold kind of sequence thing, it was set over three days. And this is important, very much like what you yes. said earlier on, because the 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 caveat here for for those uh, interested in the the mythology of the Empty Man is on the first night you hear him, on the second night you see him, and in the third night he finds you. Which I understand if you're a lazy critic and you watch the Bye Bye Man, and it was like, you know, mm -hmm. first you think him, then you speak him, whatever whatever the shit was on that one. <laughs> it's just really easy to lump that one in with, oh, well, it's the same idea. And that is lazy fucking journalism. So, yes. so lazy. Um, but anyway, he, he's got, he goes to meet Nora. We got a bit of a flash that they've had some sort of sexual relationship in the past. Um, and essentially... James is going to try and locate her, and this is the f you were you were mentioning specifically about how some stories can't be told in ninety minutes, which I think yes that. But what I love about this is like this is how this mystery starts is in a completely different. I mean, it's always to find Amanda. That's his, yeah. that's his job. But where we start to where we end up is like night and day in comparison because this starts at, I'm just going to investigate this high school and her friends and find out what's going on there. And it ultimately ends up in the, like it couldn't be any further from that. I love movies that do that. The idea of, uh, that's why I, I, I love Jallo cinema so much. That's right. Mark it on your bingo card. Duncan's just said Jallo. Take a shot. What? Um, that's right. Mark, <laughs> mark it there right now. Uh, but that's why I love like Jallo cinema. Is like a mystery starts. That's uh, why I love noir cinema as well, actually, because where a mystery starts is never really. It's always the entry point is in one direction, and where we end up at the end couldn't be any further away from where we started. It's like exactly, and and Duncan, I I love that you honed in on that because one of my favorite things about this movie is that, and in fact, I will say this: one of my something that my favorite movies have in common mm. is that they have stories that rise above their basic premise. Yes. Okay. It's not like okay, and this is I, I don't mean to. I'm not gonna you know, dump on this movie specifically, but this is a complaint I have for a movie we'll be covering in the summer series, the movie Climax, mm -hmm. where, listen, brilliantly filmed, Gaspar Noé is a genius behind the camera, but that is an example of a movie that is its premise. Yes. The premise is this 
and that is the the whole of the movie. You can sum it up in a sentence. Now, yes, there are interpersonal conflicts and and, and you know uh, cause and effects of you know uh, things that happen, and so you can pick it apart that way. But the this movie here, you hear the premise, okay? Uh, Ex cop searching for teens. Well, that's how it starts. Duncan yeah. said it, folks. It's the entry point to a cavern of possibility where it becomes okay. I'm searching for a girl. Okay, now we're searching for a group who did what now? Okay, now I'm searching to find out what this thing is. Oh, now I'm searching to find out about these people who know about this thing. Now I'm trying to find out what they are. Mm -hmm. And then the way it comes full circle is just an example of how if you're going to write a story and you want it to be fucking epic, you have to rise above your premise to make to get that genius factor in there. And that's what this movie does so well. Like like it or, or, or not. Like if you think, okay, this movie is just too much. It was opaque. I didn't like it. You could be right there and that'd be a fair criticism. But I would say one thing you, you couldn't say about this movie is that it is its premise. No, this movie goes above and beyond. Yeah, it's the difference between movies which are like are, are predicated and driven by narrative and those that are driven by like experience. Like Climax mm. is an experienced movie. Like you like you it, the story it could be you could do the same sort of thing in terms of an actual physical experience against any thin story. You know what I mean? But still, because it's all to do with the cinematography and the sound and the kinetic movement of the characters and the, you know, the noise and all that is essentially, that's its version of story where this is all about detail, character interactions, you know, how like unlocking one part of the mystery leads you to the next clue which takes you somewhere else. Um, and this movie, but this movie isn't doing it for the sake of you know well we need to we need to make this like you said we need to make this movie two hours long they don't have to make the movie two hours long it's just that's how long it takes to tell the story um and i'll give it this this had me intrigued all the way through there was no point when i was like like there was a certain point where when we trip into d2 and i was like we did a lot in d1 you know what I mean? Like, like day one went on for a while but i i i lost concept of it because of how much how much like how much of the mystery we've traveled through which kind of takes us to the school and um james manages to track down one of uh, amanda's friends and he gets her in the car and they're having a bit of a chat and we find out that a couple of days ago um they had summoned the empty man um on this bridge once again coming back to a bridge mm-hmm. um, and the the mythology or the folklore surrounding the empty man is that if you're on a bridge at night and you come across an empty ball if you blow into the empty ball and you wish um, or like really concentrate on on summoning the empty man that he will appear to you but it's with the, the caveat of the three days the first night you will hear him the second night you will see him and the third night he finds you and in this story it's actually Amanda that suggests it all the kids do it uh, but it's not until she actually does it that things get a bit creepy I love this scene because mm, it's all mm-hmm. kind of fun and it's all kind of quirky and she does it and then all the sound disappears and they're outside at a creek at a bridge um, so there's plenty of bugs and birds and all the rest and everything goes deadly quiet the wind stops and there's a there's a thing in this about the empty man like if you step 
backwards he steps forwards or he might yes. have, like, and, and they do it later on in the scene which I absolutely fucking adored um, oh. it's so so good uh, very kill list very kill list yes <laughs> kill list indeed oh god <laughs> uh, yeah uh, so so yeah it, it basically she explains that once this was done they heard running footsteps on the bridge all the kids ran away and this was a couple of days ago and she hasn't really spoken to Amanda since um, so James continues his investigation including looking at a room where she has this black poster it kind of looks like Metallica's The Black Album except <laughs> it does. in the corner there's a, a drawn figure um, and that drawn figure looks like a person sitting in a kind of like a Buddhist prayer position with like lines coming out the back of them which uh, could be rays of light or, or, or whatever uh, and that's a symbol that once again resembles the skeleton at the beginning but is also going to come back in uh, in the middle of this movie and at the very end which I loved um, but he, he sees this and this leads him to his first understanding of the the institute that is behind this the Pontifex Institute that she has a book for. She has this book for Pontifex Institute. Um, now, like, because I'm a bit of a geek on these things, um, you, you know what the word Pontifex means? I sure do. Is that, do, yep. you want, do you want to tell the listeners out there uh, what the, the Roman word for, well, what the Roman explanation for a, a Pontifex is? Yes, the, the word Pontifex refers to a council of ancient Roman priests first. Yes. But then when you break it down in Latin, you get the word bridge builder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, <laughs> I mean, bridges, bridge builder, like my dick was so hard. To, like, yes. I was like, yes, this is, this is the <laughs> shit I fucking live for. Um, <laughs> like fucking high five myself with my penis. This is amazing. <laughs> Um, so like so um, so yeah so the Pontifex Institute she's got a book for it he starts doing like a bit more investigation to the other friends that were on the bridge he goes to one household the parents all but shut the door in his face um, he goes to the second house and is abandoned but out the back there's a dog that's dead that looks like it's been drained of blood into into these um, kind of bowls or buckets in front of it and this kind of leads them to, well, you know what, I'm going to go do a bit of investigation. I'm going to go at the bridge, um, which he goes to, and then he lifts up the bottle, and he blows in the bottle. And I was like, that's a silly move to do, James. You don't want to do <laughs> James, that. what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, what are you doing? Like, did you not hear the story? <laughs> Were thou not listening to the girl in your car? Um, <laughs> so he does this, and uh, all of a sudden disappears again. But there's a manhole cover uh, that's been removed on the bridge and when he goes down there he searches around and he actually finds all the teenagers minus Amanda and Amanda's friend hanging as in dead like they're it looks like they have either been murdered or committed suicide and written under the bridge the empty man made me do it and I was like oh the plot thickens I like this I like it a lot um so he gets the police involved at this point, right? Now there is a there is a there is a plot hole in this movie that we're gonna or we're about to touch on how it starts. That I I'm sure it's I'm sure they're like in a further watch. It's probably not a plot hole, but it's the way my brain picked up on it in this watch. Um, 
But essentially, the police get involved. Uh, he calls the police. The police arrive. He is uh, chatting to them, and the friend of Amanda, who was in the car, she is in a sauna, and uh, you know, getting all steamy and naked. And <laughs> when she goes to take a shower to kind of wash all the sauna stuff off, um, she sees the empty man who grabs her by the throat and starts stabbing her in the face with a pair of scissors, but we actually see the empty man is not there and she is stabbing herself. So she is dead. She is gone. Here's the bit that I was wanting to loop into as a potential plot kind of hole here. Um, there's a conversation between the two police officers and James, and one of the police officers recognises James as an undercover mm-hmm. cop that he's met before, which doesn't make any sense when you no, understand and the end of this movie. So I'm, I, I wanted to ask you about that too because it was one of these things where I was like, wait a minute, how how are we meant to view the people who interact with James throughout the movie? And that was something I wasn't clear on. And, you know, cause yes, we're, we're building up this movie folks, but it's not, it's not perfect. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've got, like you said, the police officers, you seem to know of him somehow. Are they in on it? I, I it, that wasn't clear to me. I didn't yeah. get the sense that they were or weren't. Yeah, the- and then the dark and the wicked lady, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the woman he had the, uh, well, affair with i guess you could say yeah <laughs> uh or if he did or didn't you know but we'll get into that later you know she's the lead in the dark and the wicked by yeah, the way she's I'm really fucking that. good in that movie yes so. and well then she there's a point where she doesn't know who he is at the end and we'll get to that folks but uh yet they've been chilling all movie and i'm just i i wasn't sure how to reconcile these things with what we know about james later so I do believe you're on to something with regards to like a something that either they didn't make clear to the audience or something that they went, oh, fuck, we forgot. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, well, it, it comes down to, and we'll, we'll touch on it at the end, it's either it's either one or the other. It's either, yeah. like, the, like you say, the interactions that we see him go through are part of the program, yes. so to speak. It- uh, which is fine. If that's the case, that's fine. I can live with that because, sure. like on a second watch, I, you will take it from that perspective that all these interactions are essentially very much like they were talking about in their um, in their philosophy and their religion, kind of meaningless. Um, mm-hmm. Because we, we are all the purpose and action that we're set to do. Um, or, like you say, it's one of these things where it's just maybe not necessarily neat. Um, and yeah. if that's, I mean, if that's one of the only things he get that's not neat in a two hour and 20 minute movie that is dealing with such lofty concepts, I can fucking live with that. You give me, Fine. Yeah. you give me 20 minutes with the Bible and I will point out so many inaccuracies. Um, <laughs> I will make your head fucking spin. So if a movie like this only has one inconsistency. Yeah, I we're can, okay. I can kind of live with that. Um, yeah, so essentially... We've got these dead teens. He gets told about the other dead teen. Um, and so he goes home. Uh, Nora, played by Martin Ireland, who, like you mentioned, is in The Dark and the Wicked, which, by the way, once again, is a great fucking movie. It's mm-hmm. on Shudder. Go and watch it. Yes. Um, it's maybe my favourite Brian Bertino movie. I think I think he really oh, like, nailed that one uh, to the wall. So she shows up with Chinese food. I'm just going to say, when a woman shows up with Chinese food, marry her. <laughs> right yeah. that's i'm sure it's not the law but it should be the law shows up when you've had a long day out doing the sleuthing stuff and she shows up with chinese food marry the woman she can drink her whiskey 
Well, like, he pours a selfish measure and she just goes to town on yeah. it. I'm, I'm like, like, okay, yeah. I can... This is Mrs. W- this is the future future ex Mrs. Watson material here. <laughs> let's let's go, Marin Ireland. Let's let's go. Just don't bring your demons here. We'll leave those at the door, but bring the Chinese food. Yeah, yeah, Chinese food and tears apparently because she breaks down pretty quick and they, they almost do some stuff. And this is where we get the you know we there's some boundaries here. We get a flashback to him starting to do the Mac moves on her, and um, mm. like we we jump out of that again and. Oh, this this particular night, day one, ends with him hearing noises in his house. And because at the end of day one, you will hear him. So he hears these noises. It's all very strange. Um, so he's decided, you know, day two, I'm going to go and visit this institute. Which is, I mean, there's no way this isn't a dig at Scientology. No. <laughs> Right. You know what I mean? I kind of, I kind of, <laughs> like I couldn't help but feel there was like there was a. I, I just get the feeling that a lot of these institutes nowadays in movies, it's just going to be like people poking fun at Scientology. Um, but yeah, so he he goes to there. Um, it's a it's a weird place to say the least. A woman who may be a, a character from Blade uh, is on the desk. She's never, she has never seen sunlight. I swear, and I've never seen. I'm no. Scottish. I've never seen sunlight. She's seen less than I have. Um, but she gives him a questionnaire to fill out. The questionnaire is just riddled with bizarre questions, um, like really, really strange one. One that will repeat later on. It's about. Um, like can your brain itch or yeah yeah which once again this will this will pop up later um he overhears the 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 main dude uh, arthur parsons um talk about the the institute his philosophy uh, and whatnot and uh, so he overhears this big speech once again it's it's inherently it's like some parts esoteric, some parts nihilistic. Um, there's a bit of Nietzsche in there as well. It's all very mm. kind of, you know, like like waking up to do things um, ultimately adds to the burden on life than like not exist. It's so. It's I, I loved that. Like the guy was talking, I was just like, "There's, there's something in here that maybe resonates a bit too close with me. And I don't oh. want to spend time thinking about it too much." It's <laughs> a um, kind of, it's a kind of philosophical debate I have with myself at half five in the morning when I, I kind of feel like I could just maybe not work today. Yeah, and I'm like that. What am I? I'm just creating more things to be consumed by other people. Well, let's, I mean, let's just take a day off. Um, but yeah, like he essentially goes down to speak to this guy because he's got a theory. His theory is that Amanda's somewhere amongst this organisation. Goes down to chat to the guy. Uh, and the guy is very kind of open, very familial with him. And to a point where he, you know, all but says, oh, it's great to see you back here. Yeah. To which James is like, I've never been here before. <laughs> the guy's like, Oh, have you not? <laughs> oh, my bad. Wink to the audience. Yeah, right. um, you know, this will play off later on. Wait and see. Uh, so yeah, they have they have a bit of a back and forth where James is actually fighting the fairly kind of conventional standpoint of well, things do mean things and like life is worth living and all this shit. 
Uh, he manages to sneak out though, and he goes into a back room, which is basically the set from uh, Full Metal Jacket. Yes, Min- yes. Minus Arlie Emery shouting at people about non-existence, <laughs> um, and uh, he makes uh, he makes his way past there uh, into the depths of this building, which goes on forever. And then there's this great scene, which we are going to come back to later on, where he he sees a group of people like essentially focusing on this this board with writing on it about manifestation and this is their belief that if you think about it and will about it and spend time on it you can manifest flesh um and this is the philosophy of this this group you know this is what you can do um and he's he's come across on the back of the their their leaflet, handwritten by Amanda, the word tulpa. Which I mean, I know what a tulpa is. I know Watson knows what a tulpa is. But for mm-hmm. those that don't know what a tulpa is, is the very thing. It's a manifestation of uh, your will, essentially, in in physical form. So that's going to become important later on. So he's up on this balcony though. He makes a noise. They hit stop on a stopwatch. And like have this weird conversation about uh, you know if we've like uh, if uh, an entity is there it should make itself uh, known and then there's another noise and then these two weird looking pale motherfuckers <laughs> also from Blade escort yes. him out the back to which he meets this guy called Garrett who is like a character from a Stephen King novel he's like he's like <laughs> you know what I mean he's like he's a he's, he's essentially he's got like a a fifties haircut. A 40s jacket. Um, and he basically says, listen, Amanda's moved on to the next level, but she was here. And, you know, so you're on the right track, but you're not on the right track. Um, go, do stuff. And, <laughs> like, James does... Now, we're getting to about the midway point in this movie. And at this point, I was like, so this is like... So this is some... Oh, there's a little bit of Lynch in here, a little bit of David Lynch. This is some good old-fashioned noir kind of, I need to solve the mystery, what's happened to this girl. I was also thinking in the back of my head, once I'd seen this institute, there's a little bit of the Wicker Man here, I wonder if there's a cult behind it. So this was kind of just sitting at the back of my brain. And then it was like the movie had said, Wicker Man, you say? Um, (laughs) Yes. We'll throw in a dash of kill list. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, let's let's go on our journey, Duncan, to a cabin in the woods. Um, So essentially the the institute itself have a murky history according to wikipedia which because this movie had a budget we can use wikipedia even though wikipedia is open source so everyone should be using wikipedia they'll not sue you they can't sue you it's an open source thing Ah. but just people don't use it in 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 movies i don't know why um but yeah so he out out, uh, travels out towards us in the past this institute had a bit of a scandal and that scandal led to six prominent members uh, dying weird causes committed suicide blah 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 so he shows up here um, at this cabin he goes in there's lots of paperwork in the cabin it looks pretty dishevelled plenty of bunk beds but he finds paperwork on the original people he also finds a stack of VHS tapes um, which me and Watson are old enough to know what those are so that's always there's always a little nostalgic pan where we're like oh VHS did they rewind it? Um, yes, yeah, be kind. Yeah, be, be kind. <laughs> uh, and he puts this tape in, and but as he's walking through, once again, because the movie's kind of fun this way, he's walking in, there's a giant stuffed teddy bear on the floor, 
and he walks past it. The camera lingers on it for like half a second, um, as if to say, look at this creepy bear, but don't look at it. Uh, he sits down, starts watching this, this tape, and it's basically people trying to do some meditative task, uh, which involves when the first one killing himself, where his head kind of... No, it's not even his head. He's drawing with his... He's drawn with his own blood and his yes, yeah. entrails, which is gross, but kind of yeah. awesome. And he's drawn this image, which is behind where he is, which, by the way, is a guy sitting in a prayer pose with these kind of bloody lines coming at the back of him, a la the skeleton at the beginning of this movie, the little image at the bottom of the black um, posters, and also mm -hmm. something coming up later on. Um so he's seen this and he continues watching the movies. It doesn't feel like a lot of time's passed, but at one point the bear's head moves, um, which I was like, "What the fuck happened there?" Uh, and then the he's, he starts seeing more creepy images, and then the video stops. He turns around, the bear is gone. The bear is like, "Fuck this!" For a laugh, I'm out of here. <laughs> but when he goes outside, it's dark, so he's been in there a while. Um, and but he sees a light in the distance, and I'll be honest with you, Watson. This is like this movie was already, it was already making me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Mm -hmm. And then this next five minute sequence leveled yes. it up for me. I was yep, like, oh, yep. this is what I want. Um, he essentially follows across a bridge. Yes, bridge. <laughs> Crosses over a bridge, and he sees um a group of cult members in like kind of almost druidic robes dancing round uh, well walking round uh, a, a kind of central fire um, and they, they keep doing this they're moving quicker and the, the fire starts becoming more animated and becomes this kind of kind of almost like pyro tower towards the, the, the stars and he's focusing on this and then we get this amazing scene where he looks at the stars and everything like tilt shifts and moves kind of out of focus. It reminded me of. Did you ever see The Endless? The, yes. Yeah, so it kind of reminded me of The Endless. Yeah. That yeah. idea of just being like out of time. And um, Il does that and he's a bit confused and he blinks and then they're still. Like they're still dancing around the fire and nothing. This all has all went back to being a fairly normal cult members dancing around the fire scene. Um, he turns his back and this oh this fucking scene man. He turns his back and then everything goes quiet. And when he turns around, there is no fire, right? <laughs> and all the cult members are looking at him. Oh man, what a scene! It's like it, I was like, oh yeah, fucker, right when it happened, and then there's a kind of floodlight behind them, and that floodlight goes out, and you can see the silhouette of all these cult members, who then start kind of shuffling across to the side, all as a group, kind of the, the way you see like a herd of sheep move. It's kind of that they all start moving down the hill a little bit, and I, I like there's part of me that I love this because like the, the dialogue in this is great because that James is like. Fuck this, you know, he's yes. <laughs> like, fuck this. Um, and he takes a step back, and when he takes a step back, every member of the cult at exactly the same time, think Thriller video by Michael Jackson, they all take yes. a step forward, and it's like, shoo, 
and he's like what the fuck so he takes another step back and they'll go shump again and then he's like even more fuck this scene he goes running they all start chasing after him he gets back to the car they're throwing empty bottles because the empty man uh, and trying to break into his car and he manages to escape to say that my palms were sweaty on this one it's just so you know what I mean it's just it's such a jarring scene because it's not like anything you've seen before in the movie or anything after this point it's like a it's like exactly, its own entity yeah. and I love it and let's talk about this scene for a second because as you were talking something hit me that I hadn't considered before not just the the references to and the comparison to Kill List which we both adore oh, yes. and I knew this scene would be something you'd be like oh baby but <laughs> The the fire itself and how it's suddenly how it goes from this yeah reaching to the stars and he has this moment and then the next minute the fire's gone. Do you suppose that this fire was a manifestation of the cult's concentration and not like a fire itself? Yes, that's exactly what yeah. I think. I think it's them forcing the fire to be. Yeah, and so they're they're basically giving us a foreshadowing, I guess, and and, and very subtly so, by the way, uh, of revelations we'll be getting in the final scene of the movie. And it is that I just that had hadn't uh, occurred to me the two times I've seen this, but then thinking about it, it's like, well, fires just don't go out like that without yeah. smoke. No, that fire was them basically flexing, pr- practicing. Yeah, I think because yeah. there's so many of them as well, all working in unison, not yep. only do they... I think it's, it's twofold. I think they are um, like manifesting the, the, the fire, but I also think they are altering the perception of reality and when it comes mm. to the, the, the scene of the, the sky above. It's almost like they are physically phase shifting the 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 you know the planet or their their reality within the planet which wow. is all the you know the the belief of the the institute itself is that if you if you uh, it's what's uh, you know, once again it's like um time plus plus concentration yeah. equals flesh right flesh yeah so it's this yeah. idea of like if they if they're all focused together this and you imagine that's the sort of thing before you could manifest a tulpa for example you probably would start with something simple like manifest a fire um, sure and, and that poster that black poster mm-hmm. uh, you know it is very likely you know that that's hanging up in in uh, amanda's room and and we see it there in the institute it, it is absolutely the sort of uh, practice uh, canvas i guess you could say mm-hmm. uh, uh that you know the beginners would use before they get good at this skill and before they they're able to do this you and and the movie doesn't come out and tell you any of this but like why would there be a just a black poster upon which you focus your concentration so you physically make something appear and we do see that a couple times where james sees like a haze a smoke on it he sees all those Mm -hmm. kids in the institute focusing on on that same thing and and this fire is just okay i graduated from the poster and now here we are all together us who you know aren't uh you know who you know who, who who are a little higher up in this whole this whole thing uh, now we're making fire and we're yeah phase shifting the universe wow that that, that is really cool duncan i hadn't thought of the, the the time uh shift that happens there and the way the stars and and how that itself is an extension of their power i guess you could say that that's really cool yeah wow I mean, yeah, but there's, once again, with everything in this movie, there's also the distinct possibility that maybe 
Like James is like James is mm. literally being led up the garden path for this entire Yes, he, movie. he is. And 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 listen, folks, even if you take away all this high concept stuff, as a horror movie scene, it's 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 fantastic. Oh, it's brilliant. Just, yeah. yeah it, there's something so unnatural about like a group of people moving completely in unison towards you. Yeah. Um it's it, like it's so unnatural. It's just a natural movement, and that in itself is is, is very scary. James manages to get home. Um, he's a bit shaken up, um, but this is this is the end of of night two. So he he goes to bed, and um, he's kind of he hears a noise at about three in the morning, and he looks down at his front door where he sees like a pile of clothes, which instantly appear to stand up as the empty man who comes running towards him. Um, James grabs his baseball bat. Empty man has vanished. That's him now seen him. So we're, we're moving into the third day. And of course we know the third day is when he will find you. So everything's fucked from James's perspective. The first thing he needs to... <laughs> he's, not, he's not having a great day. He's basically trying to tell Nora that her daughter is in a cult. And she needs to get the fuck out of town. The GTFO. Um... And she's like, she's not really like, he's like, listen, they're coming, like, she's gone, they're dangerous people, you need to get out of here. So she agrees to go to a motel. And James decides that he's going to tail Garrett. Uh, and that's what he does. He tails Garrett and a group of people, and they go to a hospital. And so he follows them to this hospital, and they all go in and start kneeling in front of a, a man who appears to be quite old and on life support. Um, and when they come out of there, he essentially abducts Garrett in the best possible way. Just like he leaves the door. I love this. I love the fact that no one reacts as well. It's kind of amazing. Um, he leaves the door to his, his uh, vehicle open and Garrett kind of looks puzzlingly inside. He comes running at the side of his hood up, sprays mace in his eyes, handcuffs him inside the car and then drives him off to an abandoned area for interrogation where Garrett just kind of comes clean with everything he's like listen they told me to say this to you before um about the cabin which you went to like i was told to say that the truth is um this guy uh, in the hospital is important he's like a conduit for us uh, he allows us to communicate beyond nothing means anything you don't yeah. understand yeah he's like literally goes back to this nothing is any like it means nothing everything you're doing is for nothing um like Amanda is involved, but she's like, you know, like, don't worry about her because she means nothing. Um, <laughs> and James doesn't like this, and uh, so James tries to, to beat him up. And what he doesn't understand, I love the bit where he's like that. He's like, uh, like she's across the bridge. He's like, where is she? He goes, he's across the bridge. He's like, like where's the bridge? He's like, the bridge doesn't exist. Have you not been listening? Nothing means fucking anything. I would have, like, he's like, James has got a gun, and I'm not a violent man, Watson, but I would have put one in his kneecap. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Don't laugh at me when I'm exacerbated. Don't do it. Um, so, yeah, so, like, James is totally confused, and he drives back to the hospital, um, gets back to the hospital, and goes to, to... By this time, he's totally shaken up. He's a little bit unhinged, and he has this conversation with this nurse, and this nurse is like, well... At first, she's like that. I can't give you details about, like, a patient. And he's like, well, well, you can let me know how long he's been here. And she's like, oh, he's been here longer than I've been here. 
He's like, well, how long have you been here? And she's like, well, I've been here a year. And he's like, well, what's his condition? Does he, you know... And she's like, she starts going into medical terminology about what condition of coma he's in. Uh, but then we get the background of this one. And interestingly enough, Mr. Watson, the background mm-hmm. of this goes back several years. In fact, it goes back almost the same amount of years. In fact, nay, it goes back exactly the same amount of years to our cold open, which will play a part very shortly. Um, this guy's been from different institutes to different hospitals. He's been here for two years. Someone's picking up the bill. Um, and he's like, thanks very much. He turns around and wouldn't you know it, someone's in looking after him. And who is that someone? Amanda. We have found our missing girl. That's case closed, Watson. Book him, uh, Dano. Uh, Roll the credits. Yeah, We're done. Yeah, that, it's, it's movies over. Movies. Movie is <laughs> over <laughs> movies over now the bit that I did miss that we should probably kind of loop back to just slightly is when James is tailing Garrett at first he breaks back into the institute this is how he can tail them and when he's in that institute he finds a folder and in that folder it basically yes. shows him himself and it's a, a whole dossier on him uh, it's his life it's pictures of his family it's the <laughs> The voucher for his birthday. Um, <laughs> He's like, how'd they get this? How the fuck did they get this? This got me a flan. Um, and a song <laughs> when they didn't know my name. Uh, so he's a bit confused by this. Uh, as am I. I'm like that. Have they been keeping a dossier on this guy? What the fuck is yeah. going on? Why um, would they do that? Yeah. Yeah, maybe he was here before. Like the, the, the Parsons guy mentioned earlier on. Maybe he used to be a member of this institute. But That's spe- what I thought the twist was going to be. That I was the same. Out, I was, right? I, yeah. yeah. I was like, so the medication he's taken has just wiped his brain. So that's... Yep. That's, but the, the, the script says, no, 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 we've got another <laughs> bigger twist for you. <laughs> like, the, you know, what, what, the, what the movie said is, Duncan, Watson, you're thinking two-dimensionally. Yeah. Think four-dimensionally. <laughs> yeah, you're thinking within uh, terms of uh, five years. We're thinking in terms of 500 years. Yeah, yeah, which <laughs> yeah. is literally what we're thinking. So, yeah. um, but there's a picture of him sitting on a chair, naked. Um, Part of his dream sequences that we see all throughout which yes. by the way when the revelation that we're about to get justifies the hell out of these dream sequences because i i'm not a big fan of dream sequences yeah. and but the, you you've when, when you find out what J- duncan's about to explain folks uh, these dream sequences suddenly take on a whole new light as uh, so, a manifestation of something else entirely not just this is some memories this guy is having no it's the very fabric of this guy's reality yeah. and so yeah uh, but go on Duncan yeah so, so basically he has a conversation with Amanda uh, and Amanda explains that the the guy on the bed is Paul from the opening part of the movie the guy who was the last man standing the guy who was kneeling at the altar of the weird creature turns out he interacted with this creature and became a kind of quasi conduit slash essentially she she refers it almost to uh, him being um like the the instigator of a disease as well like like you can contract this from him as well um and he's been in this kind of vegetative state for for a while because this is what happens to you if you are this vehicle this for lack of a better word empty man um for so long essentially rots you away makes you weak and 
like he's the he's the first one that they've been able to kind of get in 500 years since the, the previous one which makes us think that this institute has been on the go for like this is an ancient order um which once again i kind of love that as a detail mm-hmm. um yeah so essentially what she says is listen he's 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 going to go soon and we can't we can't afford to wait another 500 years that's what that thing at the cabin was with all those patients that ended up dead was they were trying to manifest mm-hmm. essentially create another another one they couldn't do it so we just took things into our own hands and instead of waiting another 500 years we manifested a new empty vehicle to be our conduit oh and by the way that's you (laughs) and he's like what and he's like yeah 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 you're that so we we all kind of got together and we all just you know started thinking and you know that that time and concentration equals flesh that's you that's you um you you don't act like your history that you know of yourself isn't real and he's like what do you mean he's like well well let me and meanwhile she she starts talking about his brain being itchy and he's having weird flashes of all this stuff and she's like you know that like that um that affair that you had with with my mum um and it's worth saying as well because like you mentioned it he phones amanda's mum just before she explains this and when he's on the phone um nora doesn't recognize his voice in fact goes one step further she doesn't know him um and he finds this really bizarre and this is the explanation she basically says that affair that you had it never actually happened she doesn't know who Mm -hmm. you are that was me i wrote that into the script for creating you we created you the reason we couldn't do it before and the top has never stuck is they need to be based on tragedy there needed to be some tragic hook to ground it as a human and which i mean that's let's be honest like as a human like we we are born out of the experiences we live through but it's it tends to be the 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 pain that we all suffer that kind of is the thing that makes us grow as individuals it's the yeah. you know like we, we like it's it's that it's the it's the kind of the idea of I think it's I'm I'm, I'm going to get the quote wrong but I think it's Michael Jordan um, had said you know about like training to play basketball and aim for the hoop and all the rest like mm. some people quit on that far too early when you're a baby and you're learning to walk you'd fall like a thousand times but you as a baby instinctly instinctually know that you have to walk so you get back up you don't think or dwell on failure you just think about get back up and walking um and you know it's, it's like that's how it's weird that it's like society is built of like our idea and our concept of what makes us human is is mostly born of of pain uh, yep. and struggle and that's you know it's the it's the, the the obstacles we have to overcome that define us as human beings and the, the topas they tried to make before didn't have that so basically his wife and his kid never actually existed that memory that we keep seeing flash back to is actually the only memory that it has of them because that's yeah. something to put in which links to the dreams that you were talking about yep these are the the what this is the part of the script they gave to him. So this is the, the anchor point that he grims himself back into, which is just a genius fucking move. Just... It absolutely is, man. Because at, at first, my, on my first viewing, Duncan, and I, I was so I'm so glad you 
pick it took me two viewings to pick on what you just explained mm -hmm. because at first i'm thinking uh, well it's kind of weird shouldn't the cult uh, like why, why didn't the cult program him to just do what they want from the start why all this mystery and him having to follow the clues to get to this point you know to to, to give us this hero's journey narrative about well you know it was really there all along sort of thing but then it was the second viewing which uh, you know it became apparent to me that oh well they need him to have this real or imagined trauma so that the empty man can enter in through those cracks. Mm -hmm. And that right there, that concept is totally in keeping with the possession genre as a whole. The idea that these, these things uh, enter in via our weakness, yes. you know, that, and, and it's, it's just like, wow. So this is, this is why those other manifestations on those videotapes before didn't work. And that basically it's this, uh, you know, it, it, this ultimate example of, the perfect vessel i mean uh, you know that he himself is he's he's he is the empty man he is the because <laughs> she says that as well that you know you you're not your you're, you're not your own person you're our person you're our yeah, man and i was like what um and <laughs> like like he falls over and he's on the ground and she, she basically says like, like everything like where were you born uh, like, she's like, um, uh, where, where, where did you grow up and he said this several times he did um, San yeah, San Francisco. But like when he looked in his dossier, there was a clipping that says, you know, um, I grew up in San Francisco as a headline with all this blurb, um, and it's all links back to his, his whole personality. Is this, this script? But what I loved about this is when she asked him what. He, so the third question is, um, uh, when was your when's your birthday or when were you born? And he goes to to answer, and she stops him, and she says, three days ago. And he's like, what? And he's like, that, don't you remember? You went to that restaurant and cashed in your coupon, which was the first day he was manifested, which is just, like, my my mind was just like... Yeah. <laughs> fucking, like, it was scanners, there was brains and blood everywhere. I was like, this movie is my fucking spirit animal right now. Yeah. Um, of course, he freaks out. And he like he's like he's trying to rebel against this, and ultimately is is kind of is teleported to. <laughs> essentially, I I think this scene is when he's born, technically, um, as yeah. he then loops back through parts of the movie and we see it from a different perspective, and that perspective is of him holding his his dossier with all his information, but it's in the room where he originally was on the balcony and he made the noise and everyone stopped and clicked to watch and said, you know, if uh, if something has been manifested, will it make itself known? He's the noise that was made and he's in the bottom corner and he actually looks up and sees himself. So this is time looping back in on itself, which once again, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. head, like a second head explosion. Um, and like he's there, he freaks out, he tries to escape that room and... Um, he comes face to face with the empty man, and this scene is Lovecraft. I did, like this is a tentacled old world creature, an old god, inhabits his body in this scene, um, mm -hmm. and then we we were on the the kind of home stretch. Now he goes back to the hospital, uh, this time with his gun. He walks into the room where Paul is lying, uh, you know, in a vegetative state. And he puts three or four bullets in Paul's head, kicking up an arterial spray in the background, which looks 
like the posters, like the creature, mm-hmm. we've all come full circle. And then, <laughs> like, he does this, he walks out the room, kind of all dishevelled and confused, and there's a lot of nurses and doctors and orderlies in there, and as he looks at them, they drop to their knees in front of him, um, and then he kind of looks at them a bit more puzzled, and they bow to him, and then the lights go out behind them, and we cut to credits. Oh. <laughs> I knew when when I oh. saw this scene, Duncan, I I was like, okay, I'm I'm, I'm t- Mick Leach and I are, the, are we are talking about this movie. We are oh. talking about this movie. Oh man, this is like all it was missing was hail Paymon. Yeah, oh like, they, exactly. <laughs> there, there. I mean, shades of Kill List, Hereditary. Yeah. You said Wicker Man, Silent Hill. Uh, these sorts of things alive and well in this story. Uh, and the cool thing is I never got the sense that these influences overpowered no, what the story no, was no, no, no. What was doing because it really is uh, taking these elements, of course, which, are, you know, themselves have elements of other things and just and making this story its own. And it's just it's just oh man, it, it, it's 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 an epic in scope. It really is. And, and just a rich narrative, highly interesting. Yeah, it, there are parts that are opaque. Um, the pieces are there for the most part, I think, but we, you know, we had talked about, uh, the, his interactions with people and I don't know that two viewings and I understand them. Uh, and like you, you, you basically broke it down. There are two options that either somehow in some vague way, it's part of the programming or else they're in on it. And well, yeah, because he has a ton of interactions. Well, he has a a ton of interactions with Nora, which didn't happen because she doesn't know who he is. So, yeah. like, when she brings Chinese food, and I was talking about marriage, that didn't happen. It couldn't have mm. happened, because she doesn't know who he is. So, yeah. like, on some part, like, there's a... We have to try and parse what is what is real. Yeah, what is his objective reality as a flesh and blood person? And what's written uh, in person the and, Yes, yeah. and what's the programming. Yeah. And I, I don't know that the movie is always clear on that and a lot of the time i don't i don't know that it has to be in most yeah, cases I, I was gonna I, say i don't know if that matters i like yeah, very much like the philosophy of what there's yeah, i kind of exactly. love that about it very much yeah. like the philosophy of what the movie is actually trying to uh articulate to the viewer well, i don't think that's the important part I no think- it, it, and even even insofar as the the mystery itself is concerned the whole thing sparks because he's trying to find amanda and by the time we he finds her it, it doesn't matter at all mm. about about her missing about her anything about her being anywhere about his search that was never the point and it was just yeah the 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 nihilism there oh yeah in terms of how it treats the mystery because you're in on on that first viewing you're going okay where is she is she okay are these people bad what do they know about him what do they know about everything oh whoa scary thing here and there a bear this that you know and then you find out wait none of none of it's even wait so but she hold on and you just you 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 stand back after they all bow to him and you're just like this was the game the whole time yeah. it's like just like the family in hereditary you know you know i don't want to spoil that movie for you know i mean people who haven't seen it but they, they don't matter yeah they don't matter it's, <laughs> and, it's, once again and it all harks back that's wicker man it harks back yeah. you know it's, it's two seconds away from 
from Christopher Lee standing there saying, and uh, and now we prepare for this awful sacrifice. You know what I mean? Nice. It's like you know where where like like Edward Woodward in that movie because we're spoiling all the movies and I love it. Uh, Edward Woodward <laughs> in in that movie like the his whole journey is the journey of the fool. It's someone who at like yes. almost every opportunity is told just to walk away and not partake in the the one function that he is there to do, which is investigate something and be nosy and inquisitive as a police officer, which is like the very setup is the thing that he'll do. And the part of them are banking on that, but there's another part of them. Well, in fact, part of them is banking on that. I mean, the, the, Mm -hmm. like every, every choice they give him to escape, they know he won't take. And, his journey is the journey to the Wicker Man. Like from the from the moment yep. he sets foot on the island, his journey is to the, uh, to the Wicker Man. From the moment James opens his eyes at the start of this movie, his journey is to replace Paul as the uh, as, as essentially the vehicle, the 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 conduit to the, the, these these other these kind of old God Lovecraftian otherworldly powers. Um, yeah. Which and, and, and like like we see on that level, all his interactions with everyone are inconsequential. So uh, us trying to like me trying to be mad about uh, well, how did that cop know him? It, like it, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't matter. I, I yeah, right? that is such a fucking ballsy thing to do in a movie, is to take you on a journey like that and at the end of it double down on the central message you've been seeing all the way through it. Which is nothing means nothing okay. ultimately. Yep. Um, and yes, oh God, excellent ob- excellent observation, Duncan. Wow, that that's exactly it, and that's the that's the brilliance of the movie. In each act, this this happens like that cold twenty five minute mm-hmm. cold open. We think these are our characters. This is our plot up here on the mountains. Okay, I thought this was something about teenagers in the suburbs, but okay, here we are up here, <laughs> and then boom, that ends, and it's like, oh well, they're gone and. Okay, so now we're on to something different. So that plot line is is now well, I mean, it does come back, but yeah. essentially, it, it takes your it subverts your expectations in such a way that you where you are settling in and thinking, okay, here we go, and the movie just goes, nope, yeah. nope, that's not what we're doing here <laughs> at all. That's not the reality, and it's just, it, and you know, and I I gotta I gotta put this out there. I mean, Duncan and I have not been shy about this in this review so far, but don't allow the comparisons to things like the bye-bye man and other such things to deter from checking this out. Because when you hear these comparisons, (laughs) you're you're hearing a bunch of illiterate dumbasses hearing the word man and the empty man and the bye-bye man and then drawing stupid and needless similarities there. These are bottom of the barrel types whose voices somehow get elevated when really it's a case of, I'm I'm sorry to be a dick here, but the lowest common denominators being the loudest in the group. And it's just, look, there are many problems you could have with The Empty Man, but approximately zero of them have anything to do with movies that have similar titles. Yeah, it's just the, the, when the, the very idea or the very screen time of the entity of The Empty Man is, is so slight in this movie you know i mean he's not on screen much and they don't i mean it gets mentioned a bit at the start but there is a whole what hour of this movie that doesn't actually really reference it it's more referencing to do with specifically the the institute the the story behind them their beliefs their their you know religion for lack of a better word and their rituals that you follow through 
it's the the movie, you know, it's not focused on that. Where the a movie like the Bye Bye Man is one hundred percent focused on that as a this is the you know this is why you're here. This is what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. This movie is is not that. I also think as well. On top of it, I I just think that some people are just not disposed to allowing a movie time to breathe, and this movie needs time. It does. To yeah. breathe. It reminded me a lot of a, another movie which just did not find its mark when it came out. Um, a Cure for Wellness, which I thought was a great movie. Oh, um, I love that. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. yeah it's a, like, but it's a two hour plus movie. Once again, it looked like it had been shot for like like millions upon it was such a gorgeous oh, movie to look at yes and it was all subjective and it was all to do with psychology and you know the hum- human condition and all the rest and look at that one critically did not do well um no. uh, you know audience score relatively low um uh, but it's a, a interestingly it's an adult horror movie made for adults and the empty man is an adult horror movie made for adults Duncan, yes. Well, buddy, again, you're you're taking the words out of my mind, man. Because uh, I had a film professor who she she was a uh, advanced in age, an old woman, uh, and she we were talking about horror movies one time when we were doing some sort of review. Uh, uh, we were doing like a uh, what some exam thing, and I, I had I was in her office. We were talking about horror movies, and she said that she grew up on the Atomic Age horror movies that her father loved. And everything, and then was a huge fan of things like you know when she would have been in her twenties, like things like The Exorcist and The Omen and Jaws and and these things and th- these great movies from then. And then from to hear it from her, she what she said, well, when the eighties hit and the slashers came, it, it felt to me, and this is her saying this, oh, so the genre's gone to the kids now. Yeah. And she said for years, she thought slashers were just the stupidest that that the horror genre lost credibility there and it stopped being mature. But then she said years later she realize that, that she wasn't accurate in that statement but d- it, it is very strange that you know that you that you say that because some movies do that where they can have teens in them and even have teen centric plots but will still carry that maturity and that's what this is this isn't a bunch of you know the the fact that there are teens dealing with the empty man at a, uh, hold on let me rephrase that the fact that there are teens dealing with a supernatural entity picking them off one by one is the smallest part yeah. of the bigger plot as a yeah. whole, whereas that's the entirety of, say, the Bye Bye Man, or a lot of also good films too. Yeah. But this is going okay. We're gonna tease you with that, but this is just that plot line right there is just a a, a, a consequence of something much bigger, and yeah. that's yeah, and that's not the point because well, none of it matters. Well, yeah, that's, that's when you, when we're talking about those like those concepts, now that's why like when I said earlier on, this felt like it could be. A movie under a label like A twenty four. That's A twenty four's. That's A twenty four's market is taking like you know the idea of like, like teens in certain situations, but raising the conceptual uh, yeah. angles um, or the messaging. I mean, like a movie like Midsummer is basically you know it's about a, a struggling couple on a like a, a getaway. Yeah, if you boil it down. But in the hands of like an Ari Aster, um, I, you know, pivoted through that studio with the you know the audience that they're aiming for, which is one hundred percent adults. Um, oh yeah, 
you get this, I, I don't want to use the word elevated because people then go, he's talking about elevated <laughs> horror. Um, but what I mean is yeah. a, a story which is, is, is treating you as someone who is not just there for, for blood, guts and boobs. And there's yeah. there's lots of movies out there and that is fine for that. But oh, I, I've yeah. always said I feel... It's weird how it, it works in that there are small, like, fiefdoms almost of, of people that, like... Uh, you know, I only like blood and guts in my movies and if mm. there's too much story, too much plot and not enough scares and all the rest, then, it, you know, it's, it, it's shit. And then the reversal of the kind of snobbery that comes out of, well, I only like movies that are, you know, heavily drawn, massive character studies yeah. and all the rest. And if it's, <laughs> you know, if it's blood, guts and zombies, well, it's, sh- it's shit. And I've yep. always been... It's that meme that goes around where it's like, um, you know... The, the, the guy who is like uh, into the the high concept horror movie um, or you can be the guy that likes Return of the Living Dead 3 you know like yeah. <laughs> and, and my, my points always be why can't you be both because I can exactly. be both you know, like, to me I can be both I, like, I love to sit down switch my fucking brain off and oh. watch Zombievers nothing makes me happier at the same time that doesn't mean <laughs> I'm not going to sit down and look at a movie like February and crack the nut of that and, and deal with the, the crushing weight mm. of realisation mm. of, of belief and action and the loss of something that you thought you could recreate and not get because it was maybe never there before or maybe the time's gone. Like yeah. These are concepts. Horror can be found almost fucking anywhere in, uh, in scope. I think those that that boil movies down to simple plot points, when a movie is clearly not a movie that should be boiled down to simple plot points, are doing a massive. Di- just don't review the movie then. Like if yes, you if you come out of this one just thinking it's about the empty man's coming to get you, then you've missed everything this movie is trying to do, and I would say is daring the audience to try and go on. And it links back to what I said right at the very start. If you genuinely want original horror content that is not a continuation of a franchise, is not a remake of a movie you've seen before, that is by a big studio that is willing to invest money, then you have to go and support it. I'm not saying that you have to come out of The Empty Man and say it's film of the year. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Of course. Give it its day in court, though. And what I think is the tragedy of the whole situation is this movie was written off by the studio before it was even released because if the studio had even just a modicum of faith in it um, it would one be out on physical media yep um, but two it would have had a bit of marketing push and it's, it's a sad state like I know there's a lot of people out there and I don't want to go anti-Disney I know there's a lot of people that are very excited about what Disney's done with all the Star Wars stuff and all the Marvel stuff mm-hmm. and all that stuff as well. But every time Disney buys over a studio, and this is how the properties that are held by the studio are treated, it's just another slice away from interesting content that is delivered to a niche audience already yeah. that you're just not going to see again. This studio, 
is now, you know, whatever they're called. Like, yeah, I, the, I forgot, yeah. Yeah, the, the Disney Fox Studio, whatever, will never release another movie that's even remotely like this ever again. Oh, no, this is, this, is, this is the last time that's going to happen. And Duncan, could you imagine if A24 yeah. had gotten this movie and put it out, and if it had an appropriate marketing campaign that did it some justice, mm -hmm. the perception of this movie would would be vastly different in the community yeah vastly. oh god yeah yeah that, like oh, there, there were so many things that I had and that's we've just been talking about the the, the story like i didn't even get to I, I hadn't even touched on the cinematography in this movie is oh, fucking outstanding great yeah. there is a transitional shot that blew my mind of him looking down when he's traveling to the cabin and he looks down on a paper map and the camera zooms towards the paper map and it oh. transitions to the forest, but it still has the lines of the, the roads from the paper map with all the markers, and it continues down and then moves into a total David Fincher shot, <laughs> zooming at the back of the car, it goes the along. I was like, Duncan, this is my, fucking insane. My son and I stopped the movie and watched that twice. It's, oh, <laughs> it's one of the most gorgeous shots I've seen this year yeah. in a movie. And it is, it is, it is out the Fincher playbook of how to shoot like like a transitional scene with a car. Like, he loves those shots. If you watch things like Mindhunter, Zodiac, like whatever, he does those transitional shots where you come in behind the car to move along. And then you've got to wonder to yourself if David Pryor's done all these like special DVD features for David Fincher stuff. Mm -hmm. Is that mm -hmm. him just taking that as an influence? Maybe. If it is, he's like there was so much in this that I just felt I loved the score. The score of this movie was fucking incredible. Just yeah. it's really, 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 really well done. Um and if if you've listened to this we'll spoil the fuck out of it. If you haven't yeah. seen it, hopefully <laughs> you did go and check it out. But I like I every year there's a movie that I watch that I feel like I'm like by the end of the year this is the one that even if it doesn't make my top five I'm going to be banging the gong for directing people to it this is this movie for me oh, I, yes. I, I genuinely come out this going this is fucking great like, this is this is such a risk and to me it's, it's paid off it sadly didn't pay off for yeah. the director I, I cannot I hope that this does not become like an anchor round his career I hope he gets mm -hmm. greenlit to do something else because he is an interesting voice an interesting talent and yeah like I am with you Watson 100% the, the, what needs to happen is a studio like A24 needs to finance his next project like give yep. the guy money get him out doing something else this is once again this is his adaptation so he did the story so all this stuff to do the nihilism and all this like this is his vo his story and his voice in this. Yes, it's based off a graphic novel, but this is yeah, his yeah. story and it is great. It's great, Duncan. But... I, it it overjoys me that you. I, I knew my my instinct was this is a Duncan McLeish movie, but yeah. there was the possibility we were going to come into this conversation and you'd be like, Watson, thanks for the recommendation, dude. But what the hell did you bring me? <laughs> uh, what was? But I had. I just. I knew, no, there are people in the community I could say by name, and I won't do it, but who I could yeah. bring them this movie, and they'd be like, no, why? But you were the guy. I was like, no, first of he'll get he'll get it, first of all, and there's a lot to get, and he's going to like it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I didn't tell you, like, check out this masterpiece. It was just like, listen, we got to talk about this. That could yeah. mean anything. And uh, <laughs> so... 
<laughs> no, no, man, you, 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 you've, you've done me, you've done me right here. Ah. I, I'm so, so glad. Um, you know, Mister Watson, that we do a little scoring at the end of this one. It is, um, it's on a five point rating. The old Netflix style of rating one yes. is hated it, two is didn't like it, three is liked it, four is really liked it, five is loved it. I will allow point fives. I'll come in. Should be no surprise. You've heard it in me all the way through this. It's a five. I loved this movie. Like. <laughs> The day that this is announced physically, I will buy this D1. Um, oh. And it will be watched again before the year is out. A hundred percent I will watch this movie again. I thought this was I thought this was fucking great. So oh. five from me. Man, well, let, let's just go ahead and double up those those fives here. <laughs> let's uh, high five it up. Uh, man, uh, just what this movie has to say about the conceptualization of reality mm-hmm. and of the self it's just so fascinating and interesting in this movie like like we said like duncan and I, we're, we're hammering this home that this movie rises above its premise okay if you're thinking and of, of course if you're listening to this we, we've told you the movie but if you're if you're maybe if you've seen the movie you watched along with us and you're going okay you know uh, you know I, I liked it but you know t- tell me some tell me some more sometimes one of the reasons i like listening to podcasts talk about certain things is when i don't feel like I can put something into words and then somebody else can say something. I can go, okay, that, that's what I meant. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, And this podcast does that for me a lot. There are some podcasts that just have a knack for pulling out of my head what I was thinking and then putting it into words, sort of time plus concentration, the manifestation of the flesh and blood word, I guess you could say. Uh, But the, just, just what this says about the reality and of the self and the way that this rises above its premise and, and becomes something more than just teenagers running from a ghost. I like those movies. Believe me, there are plenty of plots where people are running from an entity where I'm like, hell yeah, I've got some fives there too. But this is, man, this is if this is a popcorn movie, it's gourmet fucking popcorn with a side of a filet mignon. And, you know, you're just mm-hmm. <laughs> so, oh, five, five all the way, buddy. Yes. Oh. Feels so good. Feels so good. Right, Mr. Watson, I cannot thank you enough. Um, like I say, I, I, I don't know when I would have ever checked this movie out. So I'm, I'm yeah. so overjoyed that I have. And we, uh, we, we, we got through it together. And hopefully we uh, have tantalized the listeners to go out and check it out. Mm-hmm. Now, you're a busy guy. You're doing lots of stuff. Let the listeners out there know where they can check your content. Oh, thank you, Duncan. Well, everybody, if you derive value from the incredible fucking work that Duncan does under these here stairs, then I've got two shows for you that'll uh, tickle your whore-loving fancy. The first is a podcast I do with the infamous Dave Z of the Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast, and that show is called The Watt Z Party Horror Show. I'm the Watt, Dave is the Z, and we've got a monthly three-act podcast for you fine folks. In Act 1 of our show, just to give you an example here, we go over the list. Uh, we go over a list of the month's upcoming horror movie releases or what you might have already missed, and Act 1 is about to change. that. The last episode, episode 18, is or 19 it was, uh, is going to be the last time that happens. So mm-hmm. we're going to be changing up Act 1. It's a secret. Tune in to find out on our next show. But in Act 2, and this will remain the same, we tackle a horror-related topic of discussion. Then in Act 3, we conduct an in-depth conversation, much like this. Uh, well, without the spoilers, uh, about a horror movie of our choosing. But we do get into spoilers in our 
after party segment, after the credits have rolled, so to <laughs> have rolled, so to speak, and uh, the theme music has played, we get into spoilers after that. So, yes, well, once again, that's the Watzy Party Horror Show. We're on Twitter at Watzy Party. That's the only place you can find me uh, on Twitter. Uh, join the party, celebrate horror with us. That's the Watzy Party Horror Show. The other show I do is called Horror Movie Weekly. And it is hosted by the legendary horror podcaster, Jay of the Dead, of horror movie podcast fame. This guy is easily just one of the best horror podcasters in the game and film critics. And just doing this show with him since December has been just a tremendous experience. And essentially, Horror Movie Weekly episodes drop every single Sunday. It's a shorter form show, clocking in at about you know 45 minutes to an hour per episode. And on this podcast, we three hosts, Jay of the Dead, the amazing longtime podcaster, Shani Dreadful, and you're, you're all yours truly. We go in-depth on that week's selected horror film. The reviews are short, but we go deep. And I believe you listeners of uh, the T-Putts here will find it rewarding to listen to Horror Movie Weekly. We go round robin with our picks, which is to say that Shani Dreadful will pick a movie for us to cover one week. Then I'll pick the movie for the next week. And then Jay will pick the week after that. And the, the our, kind of our caveat here is the movies have got to have been released within the past five years. To qualify for coverage so we have a lot of fun surprising one another with what we choose and so folks please subscribe to horror movie weekly uh you know wherever you get your podcast you won't regret that and if if you do i, I do gotta throw this out there just know that shanny dreadful and i joined the show at episode 71 so jay had two other veteran podcasters as co-hosts for those first 70 episodes but they retired from horror podcasting, so Jay reached out to Shani and me to fill those spots, and we've been going strong ever since. So we're, we're at like 90-something right now, so we've been on 21 episodes as of this recording. So e even if you're just looking for the the Watsons uh, era of Horror Movie Weekly, there's still a, a lot of episodes <laughs> there. But I do recommend you listeners start from episode one because this show is uh, just – just a beast of a short form show and it, you, you'll you'll walk away entertained as hell it, it's it, jay does amazing work and um well and one last thing i think we should say is that you and i have a show we have done and still do mm -hmm. we mentioned it at the beginning called opera omnia and that would be season one of opera omnia folks where duncan and i covered the works of writer director ben wheatley and our last episode shoot uh, duncan that was like what uh, august think it was yeah yeah he's yeah. been a busy guy uh and obviously <laughs> released rebecca which we reviewed yes. then and mm -hmm. in the interim during lockdown he shot um his brand new movie in the earth which mm -hmm. um we will be doing probably sometime in the next month and a bit so yep Teaputs Collective, folks. You got if you're if you're a Teaputs listener and you're not in the Teaputs Collective, Duncan is putting out. Like I, I love that you have this side feed <laughs> that is just as good as like main main feeds of other podcasts. It's like you're you're just you're such a beast. You're you're a, you're a beast, man. And yes, <laughs> yes, season one of Opera Amia, and man, it's it's just great. So you'll hear us talk about in the earth and man, Duncan. Thank you so much for having me back on the show, and I guess officially on a, a standalone T Putts episode for the first time. I hadn't realized that. That's kind of a, a milestone here, and just I just relish the opportunity to podcast with you, buddy. And this has been fantastic. Thank you for talking with me about the Empty Man. Yeah, you will be back for summer series as well. Uh, so the listeners, um, yeah, get ready. We're, we're, we'll be going long on the, those ones as well so plenty yeah. of movies to talk about all incredible conversations ahead of us uh, thank you very much to my guest Mr Watson and I'm going to take my final break ladies and gents when I come back I'm closing out the show and I'm doing it right after this <laughs>
You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been bonus episode 349, a special bonus review of The Empty Man. Thank you very much to my guest, Mr. Watson, who not only recommended the movie for us to review, but it's always great chatting to him. He is a pure good in the podcast world and will be joining me very soon on Opera Omnia Season 1, The Redux, where we are looking at In the Earth, the brand new movie from Ben Wheatley. Watson will also be returning as part of the Summer Series in just under two months' time. When we kick that off, he has two years assigned to him and a round table at the end. Very much looking forward to that. There is a multitude of ways to check out podcasts under the stairs. Wherever you're listening to us right now, hit subscribe. That way you get the shows as and when they drop and access to the entire back catalogue of Teapots content. Do not stop there. Subscribe to the Teapots Collective, the sister feed to the podcast under the stairs, where you will get spin-off shows like Where to Begin With, Opera Omnia, Doing the Nasty and Chronicle as well, plus all those archives of all those shows. Subscribing to both those feeds is the best way to support what I do under the stairs. Now, 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 you can jump across and check out our website, tpartscast.com, which has links to all those shows, as well as a link to Jaws is Shite and other regrettable outbursts, the booze based banter entertainment podcast featuring myself, The Baz, and Scott and Liam vs. Evil. Jaws is Shite and other regrettable outbursts is a monthly podcast, and the next instalment of that will be dropping in just under two weeks' time. So, yeah, once again, keep your eyes peeled for that. Available on tputzcast.com. You can visit our merch page, tputzcast.bigcartel.com. On Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast. For the Teaputz Collective, it's facebook.com forward slash tputzcast. And for Jaws' Shite, it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash a regrettable pod. Reach out and interact with myself and the Baz on the Twin Prongs of Social Media Sexness. Instagram and Twitter both can be followed at TeapotsCast. The podcast Under the Stairs returns later today, where we'll be doing Moon Over Scorpio a week late for our 88 Films Slasher Classic Collection. I really wish that was a movie that was worth the wait, but it's not good. So, uh, Why am I doing this to myself? We're almost there. We're almost caught up. We are almost caught up. But until then, wherever you are, whatever the time zone is, and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs, and I am signing off.